Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to another fabulous episode of the K Golasso podcast. I'm Jimmy Conrad. Your favorite former U.S. men's national team player alongside your second favorite former U.S. men's national team player, Heath Pierce. And we are here to break down the match day. That is the first match day, the CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. We're going to focus on Estados Unidos, the United States, as they travel to El Salvador. He got a 0-0 result. I think you can tell my voice, a little frustration. But we're also going to talk about everything else. So, K Golasso Pod, it starts right now. All right, Heath Pierce. I'm Jimmy Conrad. Let's get into this right now. Zero, zero. What are your initial thoughts? Let's say it like this. For everybody watching, everybody listening, think about it in your brain right now. What is your grade? What grade would you give the U.S. men's national team in this? And I want to give some context, Heath. Mm -hmm. Okay? This is an A through F grade, by the way, not uh, zero to ten. Now, now, I want to give some context. When we started World Cup qualifying for 2014, we lost our first game of the Hex. 2018 World Cup qualifying. We also lost the first game of the Hex. This time around, we got a draw. We should be celebrating, Heath Pierce, huh? Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, yeah. Deserves, oh, yeah. I don't Let's know. Go. But that, okay, but different generation, different players. What grade yeah. do you give? Well, as a team, I give a B plus because they got a draw. On individual performances, though, I'm thinking like C's across the board. Okay. Like, I, I, I don't think there was any failing performances. I do, I do think Destin and Yedlin both struggled. Uh, for long periods, just in con- con- combining, connecting passes, mm-hmm. looking comfortable out there, one-on-one defending. So, so is that on them, or is it is it where they are in the formation or the formation itself? Because I feel like anytime something doesn't go right, it's not always on just the player. Sometimes it's on the coach as well. They're, like everybody needs to kind of take some responsibility for a performance that doesn't work. Yeah, fair, fair or not fair? fair. Totally fair. I okay. think it, it's a mix. I think you look at Yedlin, and and there's times that fullbacks especially get blamed and jimmy you know what it's like when you're in a game like this and and you get the ball after working hard to win it back and you put your head up and everybody's sort of scratching their head walking away because like, <laughs> they're tired yeah they're like hey man it's not open this way uh you should you know what you should do you should try to hit a pinpoint 50 yard ball over the top that's a great idea because it's i don't want it and then you get forced into this position under pressure and you you end up coughing up balls that go out of bounds for throw-ins and things like that so i think on the ball i think a lot of that. And then as well as just the the, the formation. Uh, I know that you're pretty frustrated about where Dest played, obviously on the left, not on his preferred side, uh, alongside a Conrad De La Fuente, who also uh, is on not on his best side. And, and look, I love the modern cut inside type of thing. Uh, but you got to have somebody that can get around the other side, create that width, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I won't go into that. I'll let you speak to that. But yeah, for me overall, it, it was just to go back to your grading system. I think it's a C for the team because I don't think there was this overwhelming fight and desire. I thought Tyler Adams showed it at times. I thought Weston McKinney showed moments of fight. I thought I thought Kellen Acosta brought that energy, that last mm-hmm, qualifying mm-hmm, cycle mm-hmm, we came in, mm-hmm. where he comes in, you're like, oh man, just don't run out of position too far, but please keep <laughs> running because your energy is infectious and we need that right now. And maybe it'll create a moment of magic and you'll you'll like, you know, they'll cough up a ball and we'll drive down and we'll score and we'll we'll, we'll steal three points. But other than that, it was just 
a pretty lackluster performance. But again, as a team, when you get a point, Jimmy, you know what this is like. You go in the locker room, everybody's high five in there. No one's down, no one's got their head down after that game. Maybe individuals, or they know that there's something to work on. Maybe you feel like you got a little bit lucky, but to know you came down here, got a point, and you're still on path for what I'm guessing the team goal is seven points. You gotta be you gotta you gotta find some perspective of that. You can't get down too much. What are your thoughts? I would say that the silver lining for me is that this team under Greg Berhalter, especially over this past summer, that even if they don't play well, they're still getting results. And I like that there's a straight line between the Nations League team and the Gold Cup team. And even in this first World Cup qualifier, that feels the same. It wasn't great. Maybe they weren't in the best starting positions. You know, you had Matt Turner in goal. You had Yedlin, who I was actually surprised that he started at right back in a back four. I thought maybe... As a wing back, he might be better suited to, to take advantage of what he brings to the table. You have Miles Robinson, very young. I thought he played pretty well. Tim Ream was solid. I did question. I'll raise my hand and question why he's getting those minutes. I'd rather see that go to Mark McKenzie, John Anthony Brooks. And I know that Greg Berhalter, we probably should have prefaced this, has to balance the team of having three games in eight days with players coming over from Europe. That can't be easy. And then you have Sergio Dest at left back. This was my biggest issue, and we talked about it before, that – there are times, and I'll actually reference the Champions League final, Manchester City. Gundogan plays CDM for Man City against Chelsea in the final. You have Rodri, who's been fantastic there. You have Fernandinho, who's an absolute beast and been doing it for so many years. That experience in that spot. But Pep Guardiola elected to go with Gundogan, hoping, hoping that he would play well. And he, it, it's not that he didn't, but that's just not his best position. The team wasn't balanced. And, and it showed when they played against Chelsea. Same thing with Dest. You put him on the left side and you're hoping he plays well. And I don't like that. Like you put him at right back or you put him at a right wing back, you know he's going to play well, or at least you're putting him in the best position to play well. And he's going to feel a lot more comfortable and confident. Which showed when Anthony Robinson came on eventually for Serginho Dest, we finally had a left-sided player on the left side of the field. And it looked like we just had a more, more fluidity. We were a little bit more balanced and that we could hurt El Salvador on both sides of the field in a really meaningful way because now Anthony Robinson can hit a deep cross or he can hit the line and whip it in with his proper foot. Des would, you know, Des, Conrad De La Fuente, also, also, let me just say they're amazing players. But when they cut in, it just, we just didn't have that width on both sides and it, and it showed. And so there were little problems like that. And then another big thing that I'll talk about just in terms of my assessment and when I get into the nitpicking here, because we have some time, it's a podcast, we can get after it, is that when we lose control of the game and the momentum starts to shift to the other team, I don't care how bad the other team is, they always get about five minutes. If they're the worst team, they're always going to get about five minutes per half where they're going to be in control. How quickly can we win it back? How quickly can we regain uh, that control and that momentum? And we struggle with that. We struggled with it tonight. And I saw it a little bit during the Gold Cup, and I thought, all right, we're giving away maybe more possession than we should. I always saw it in the Nations League. Mexico probably better than us in the final, but we found a way to get a result. And I think at the end of the day, that's what's going to help us qualify. And once we qualify, nobody's going to give – a shit. I'm just going to say it. Nobody's going to give a crap. I didn't on that time, but nobody's going to care about us getting a zero, zero draw against El Salvador. It's just, did we qualify? Did we, if we win qualification, maybe that gives us a better seating so we can be in pot two for the world cup draw. At this point, I think we just want to qualify. Do you agree with that? Heath? I'm all over the place right now. I'm no, hot. no, I, 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 I agree with that. And by the way, if you're, if you're watching this on YouTube, throw some comments in, we'll try to answer them on here uh, because Jimmy and I are runaway trains and we need to be brought back down to reality. Um, but I, I agree with that, Jimmy. I think no one will look back uh, and, and, and criticize the fact that we got a point uh, in our first qualifying game. Let me ask you this, Jimmy, we're going to go, we'll, we'll go straight into this. 
Do you think that on certain levels that this team, which we all can agree is the most talented team the U.S. men's national team should have ever had in terms of the clubs they're playing at, the level they're playing at week in, week out, how many Champions League players we have, do you think they should be held to a higher standard, both home and away? Like, how do we judge this new group? Because, again, most of them are Champions League experienced, but they're not CONCACAF experienced, right? These are things that you still have to go through. But you and I weren't CONCACAF experienced until we were CONCACAF experienced, right? You get them from living in it. There's no way, there's no, no, like, handbook. But should we be holding them to the same standard of national teams past that are like, go down there, get a point, and and on the road, and the way in which we get a point? Or are we just saying, get a point on the road, win your games at home, you qualify for a World Cup? Or should we be expecting more from this team that people are calling the golden generation? That have some of the best. We have a Champions League winner. We have top players playing in the top clubs in the world right now. And they're super young and continuing to get better. Should we be holding them to a different standard? Yes, I'm going to start off and say yes. And that's a great question. And I hope it gives food for thought for everybody either watching on YouTube or listening on uh, your favorite uh, podcast outlet. I'm going to say that if I look back on those games and look critically on the Nations League, I remember Honduras having a one-on-one with Zach Steffen. They score that, you know, we're probably talking about Greg Berhalter's head on a plate that we lost in the semifinals to Honduras in the Nations League. Instead, we get a late, you know, late goal in that one to send us through. We play against Mexico. We're down 2-1 to Mexico. We need set pieces to get back in that game. It's not like we're doing anything clear-cut in the run of play that you're just like, holy crap, look at these guys go. Wind them up and let them go, Heath Pierce. So if we look back at those things critically, right now we're looking back at the, the shithousery of CONCACAF and the, the iconic photo of Christian Pulisic shushing everybody without his shirt on in the corner and everybody behind him. Amazing, amazing moment. Sick. But it's not like we, we outplayed Mexico there. We had to get a pet. We had to save a penalty from Ethan Horvath. We had to score on set pieces. Pulisic was pretty quiet in that game. All things considered Dest was also playing left back in that game and had to get subbed out. Cause he just wasn't that influential. So we already had a track history of Dest playing at left back and it not going well. So I don't even want to get into that. Cause I already wa- walked through those waters, but, but then if we look at the gold cup, we only gave up one goal and that was on a penalty, not into the run of play, but Qatar should have scored. They had a ton of chances. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, Canada should have scored. I mean, we gave up a lot of chances and at some point I feel like, and I said this to myself, I wasn't really speaking to anybody. I think about the team a lot and that's going to catch up to us at some point. And I hope it doesn't catch up to us in world cup qualifying, but we saw a little bit of, of it tonight where, you know what, things weren't going our way and our guys looked a little bit more emotional and frustrated than maybe they had been up until that point. Now, I also want to add somewhat of a preface or some type of benefit of the doubt that we're trying to merge these guys together, these two teams, the Nations League and the Gold Cup team together. And I am not surprised that it looked a little stifled. And when we were not having the success that we thought we did or whatever the game plan was and it wasn't working, I could see why we started to bypass the midfield a little bit or we got a little anxious. I feel like we never slowed it down and played at our speed. Okay, let me, let me, let me, let me ask Sorry, you Sorry, I'm this. going off. I, no, go no. ahead. No, uh, then why can't the, the thing that we do consistently be our press, right? Take all those other things aside. When this team has actually been good, if you look at the way Gio Reyna plays at at Dortmund, if you look at the way that that, uh, Pulisic plays at Chelsea, if you look at the way that Sargent played at Bremen, if you look at the way that um, Weston McKinney played at Schalke before he was at at, uh, Juventus, winning the ball in a good press high up the field to, to to then counter on unbalanced teams or disorganized teams is such a great way to play. 
Mm-hmm. Why is it because we don't have enough time? Because when I've seen the U.S. playing at their best, I always think about this team, regardless of merge two teams together. But if we can press well, right? You had all summer uh-huh, to work uh-huh. on this. If we can press and win the ball in good spots. Sure, they're going to break the press once in a while. But I saw times today where it'd be one guy presses, the other one drops, another mm-hmm. guy presses, another one drops. That's so easy to beat. And that's what gets frustrating after a while, right? If you're Tyler Adams and you're blocking that back four and someone starts the press or they start the press at the wrong time, they break pressure. Now you're stuck between lines. And it just seems like this constant thing. And I just think that was one thing as I started to think more and more about it. Why can't that be the best thing that we do on the road is our yeah, pressing game. Yeah. No, that's a great point. And it, it's a good it's a good point you bring up. Before I have a question for you, though, Heath, but I do want to remind everybody, if you're watching right now on YouTube, be a part of the conversation. Drop us a comment. Drop us your thoughts, hot takes, whatever you want. We'll answer them for you. That's what we do. We love to answer questions. I'm like, we're Q&A monsters. And then, of course, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, do us a solid and leave Kay Golasso a rating and a review. It only takes a few seconds and it helps us to continue to make free episodes just like this. All right, question for you, Heath Pierce. What stood out for you or which player stood out for you the most in this particular game? Because you gave a C rating. Were there any shining stars for you. I, I will jump in and just say quickly, I thought Miles Robinson and Team Reem were very solid, but anybody else really stand out for you? Or do you feel like maybe we were lacking somebody? Maybe maybe there was a sub that came on that maybe you thought should have started. Give me your thoughts. Yeah, there was flashes. There just wasn't enough from me. And Ali Medina, by the way, who's on, who's we've posted on the screen, the best American player was Zavaleta and Alex Roldan. <laughs> hot take, but also not that it. big of a hot take. Uh, we were talking about this before we even went live. That there's something about CONCACAF that you, you it's hard to put into words, right? Zabaleta and Alex Roldan wouldn't make the U.S. men's national team, right? I don't think they would. But if they played the way they would today, every single day, they would make the men's national team. Uh, but there's something about the pride of, of, of playing at home in front of that kind of atmosphere, that fan, that intent, that, that, that type of fan, that intensity that brought the best out of them. And I think there's something magical to that. And, and I want to give credit to them. What's it out for me, though, in terms of uh, a player that was good? Again, I think Tim Ream was good. Robinson was good. Turner Turner was was active or at least, you know, involved when he had to be. Never really mm-hmm. had to make mm-hmm. too many big saves. Uh, I And again, I could go in flashes. Of, I thought Conrad De La Fuente was decent at moments. I thought that uh, Josh Sargent was decent at moments. And then right when I'd be like, he's here, he's here. Then he'd turn around and turn the ball over and be like, he's not here. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, again, I, I thought that, one person that really stood out in terms of struggling to me today was Brendan Aronson. Hmm. He, as the game went on, the less and less he was involved. And I, he was still putting in a shift. He's one guy that I always know that no matter what, he's going to put in that defensive shift to chase the ball. He was one of the examples I was given where he was just running in triangles while the players were passing in triangles around him while he was just kept on going. Um, do you feel like, do you feel like he was too tucked inside? And at some point, maybe the tactics needed to change because we were maybe too narrow. Cause it felt like on the left side, at least, we were a little bit too narrow, and maybe Yedlin wasn't actually providing the width. I mean, we started okay. The first 10 minutes, we were pretty good. But but where does when the game gets tight and teams put 10 players back behind the ball, it's going to always be tough for Aronson, Reyna, and Pulisic, and whoever else plays in those spots, De La Fuente, to, to create that space that they need to combine, to, to create opportunities. I don't feel like we shot enough from distance tonight. So, you know, what... Uh, you know, what, are the, what, what would, how would you solve that? I mean, because Brendan Aronson ticks a lot of boxes, and I think we're both big fans of him, but how do we get him to be more influential if something isn't going right? Because it felt like, to your point, like a square peg in a round hole. Yeah, I, I, I've talked to uh, Brendan Aronson before, and his favorite 
place to be on the field is in the half spaces. And mm-hmm, that's, so that's mm-hmm. where you want him. That's the favorite place, but that's where you've got to be comfortable. The difference is, and this is just my take, is that as teams sit back and they play with that fight and that passion, they want to nick balls away, right? So you go in combination play where there is a risk in combination play high up the field where they're sitting back waiting to counter on you. They poke a ball away, counterattack. They poke a ball, another mm-hmm, ball away mm-hmm. when you're trying to combine counterattack. Then the third time you go, well, you know, I just had to run back all the way to the other end a few times and put out fires. That's not that 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 fun to do anymore. You start changing the way that you play. So you stop going into those half spaces. You stop taking those chances. And I thought the team started to deteriorate in that sense of that that freedom and creativity. Most of these guys are used to playing against teams that sit back against them or or make it difficult, whether they high press or sit back. Mm-hmm. They're not used to just being able to walk mm-hmm. the ball up the field, and they're used to playing with high-quality players. So I think combination play is a really important thing, that creativity of combination play that can help to solve the problem. I Again, go back to the Nations League final. As soon as the U.S. was able to start calling the bluff on the press and break the first lines of pressure, they were walking through and really opening up the game for them where actually players in good spots were were getting the ball and they were attacking with numbers. Whereas, again, as we started to kind of fall apart in this... Now, I, I don't want to say fall apart because it's the wrong way because they never really fell apart. Dramatic, dramatic. But yeah, but, but as, as they started to lose that rhythm, so to speak, then it just sort of went away and they defaulted back to, you know, we'll try to scrap, we'll fight for 50-50 balls and that played right into El Salvador. Fortunately, they got out out of it with a point. Mm-hmm. I call that a success overall, but mm-hmm. it still was lacking that bit of rhythm that we see with these players. You and I watch these players every single weekend. And yes, you could say they play and train with these teams every single week, but it's still different. They should still be able to bring a certain level of consistent quality that you go, "Okay, that's the same guy I see between their club team and their national team." What, what I find interesting about the club to country is are they picking up the ball in the same way? Are they, as you say to Brendan Anderson, are they finding the ball in the half spaces that they normally do? And then from there, how are they being supported when they do get that ball? Is, you know, for Gio Reyna, he's playing with Erling Holland week in and week out. And no disrespect to Josh Sargent, but he's not Erling Holland. So how he's looking for the ball, Holland, as opposed to Josh Sargent, is going to be a little bit different. We could argue that. What I found interesting in terms of the tactics, and I, we saw this plenty of times, it didn't work, but you could see it. I saw it consistently. Josh Sargent and then P-Folk, when he came in for him, would drop into midfield to pick up that ball, and then Weston McKinney would immediately run past him into that space. And it's a, it's a good tactic to have because more often than not, Weston McKinney's going to run into the space that's been vacated by the defender that's following either P-Folk or Sargent into midfield. The problem was we couldn't get our, the ball off of our feet of our strikers fast enough to find the to find a midfielder who's now facing forward that can find Weston in that space. I don't think it came off once, but you can see that that, that's what they're trying to do, and they're almost baiting the center back from the other team to follow them in, and they can take advantage of it. Whether it was just due to execution or El Salvador just pressing the ball or or our our number nines not being able to hold on to it, I like the tactic, but it's – it gets us caught. If we get caught on the ball, and to your point, Sergeant did lose it. Sometimes he tried to turn – when he didn't have, uh, he had guys on him and there was no space to turn. P-Folk did it as well. Our best opportunity, I thought, in the second half was when P-Folk actually got out of some pressure. There was three guys around him and he released, I think it was Weston McKinney, out wide and then we ended up getting a good opportunity. So that tactic can work, but other teams are going to figure it out and obviously we're going to have our own special preview for the Canada game coming up. But it, it's, it's a tactic that I like. It's just what happens when it's not working. And that's where I think we need to take that next step as a team, plan A is not working. 
crap, plan B isn't working. Are we still comfortable and confident enough in knowing how to get out of it so we can go to plan C? And one other thing that I noticed, other than thinking about the game and rewinding it, we didn't really switch the point of attack very often. I counted maybe two or three times in the first half where we actually went from the right side to the left. Yeah, and Robinson and, tried a couple times and miss hit him. Right. Well, that's but. the thing. I mean, that's that's so important, as you know, to get out of pressure, to keep a, uh, the defending team unbalanced because they can't get around you anymore. And then they get tired because you're making them chase. And it just felt like we never really established a rhythm in their in our attacking half, their defending half. where We made them move around. We had it at times, but not like where we were in complete control of the game. Like if you watch a Spain play, for instance. But El Salvador did it, Jimmy. El Salvador. That's <laughs> yeah, what they us. do great. They go one, two, three passes out the other side, right? And yeah. they frustrate you because right when you've collapsed on them, you think that you're in. They have two guys, bomb, bomb, bomb. They're out the other side. They breathe for a second. Or they're on a counterattack. But I, Jimmy, I but I, I still want to go back to the pressing thing. And I'm not okay, I'm gonna okay. leave. No, I don't no, want to talk going. about it. Keep but going. my point, my point is is <laughs> is is um you talked about are they getting the balls in the right spaces? So I'll I'll skip the pressing thing for a second. You're talking about how are they getting balls in the right spaces. I saw a lot of passing to get the ball off their foot today, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I can mm -hmm. I can give you if if I'm drive if you're driving forward as a center back and I'm your left fullback, mm -hmm. you can feed me in front of me on my left foot and keep the momentum going forward, or you can just get rid of the ball, right? And I mm -hmm, saw a mm -hmm. lot more getting not getting rid of the ball, but just not the sharpness in passing that allows. Now my first touch has broke the first line of press, and now we're right, in, right? Right? And again, mm -hmm. maybe that was the pitch. Maybe it was dry. It did look a little bit dry at times. There but, wasn't wasn't shooting around, but there's still the sharpness in passing this. Sure. This um, uh, we we've played I, in these situations yeah. before. I, that 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 field looked very sticky, and it when it dries out, it slows the ball down a lot. My only thing about these types of things, the environments, the heat, the rain, the field. Both teams have to play in or on the same stuff. So mm -hmm. yes, I mean maybe. El Salvador's used to it, but I mean, these guys are world-class players. You figure it out, right? And that's, I, sometimes I subscribe to that, but it just feels like low-hanging fruit, like yeah, somewhat of fair. an excuse to, to do that. That said, if the, the field does dry out, it does change quite a few. It, it, I, I, to your point, this is what I'll say. If you're not familiar with playing on this type of surface and it gets spongy and it gets slow, you start to overthink your touches. Like, I just don't want to make a mistake. So in that particular instance, I could see how that played out in some ways. But you think after 15, 20 minutes, you're like, all right, I got this. Yeah. And we can play. And you train here. on the field the night before. You, you do. Get the you feel do. for you it. Do. You get to. Yeah. to but but I, there, there, is, there is something there for sure. But but I can't subscribe to it 100%. That's all you, I would say. Okay, back to my press, Jimmy, real quick. Okay, go back to press. <laughs> I, 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 and I'm going to wrap this up. Tyler Adams doesn't play in a build-up system, right? Mm -hmm. He's our holding midfielder. So... If we have a, a personnel-based system with the national team, we have a bunch of engines, a bunch of literally top-level players playing at very big clubs in the modern game, the majority of which are playing in systems where we can press well. Mm -hmm. And I still think this is an underutilized tactic, both home and away, to a lot, to really press well on teams and just go at them. The few times we won the ball high up the field in good spots, we didn't bring any, we didn't bring the attacks to a conclusion, but Sargent got one on his left foot, may, maybe hits it first time. Mm -hmm. But they got into some decent spots where like one, two, three passes. Now we're up and around the box. Now we're talking about efficiency here, right? Where you, you, you do that a few, few times. Those teams are either lumping the ball longer or they're going to keep being naive and you keep collapsing on that press and now you've got yourself these counterattack situations. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I just think it's an underutilized thing for the type of players we have, the engines of the players that we have, the quality of the players that we have, and the, and the, and the world and environments of which they've come. So, so 
I just wanted to jump in about the pressing because when we played for Bruce Arena, the pressing always started with the two center backs. And I saw Greg Berhalter in the first half. They had a long shot of him for whatever reason. And you, he's screaming. He is absolutely screaming at the back line to get up, to get up, to get up. Because you can't press if your back line isn't connected with everybody else. And that was something that I saw. And if you have a Tim Ream and a Miles Robinson, or and Tim Ream's probably being the one that's the vocal one back there due to his experience and age. If he is not holding a higher line, and I don't remember El Salvador really getting in behind us, that creates some gaps that it doesn't allow us to press consistently and doesn't allow us to take those risks. So that's something to, to pay attention to because it's got to be, for me, the communication always came from the center backs and it makes sense because they can see the whole field. But I wonder about that because if it wasn't happening, I I, I almost want to get Greg Berhalter on the phone and talk to him about well, a lot of things, of course. But, <laughs> but just to say... Was that an issue? I really, I'm, I'm a, I, I love team shape. I'm a nerd for it. And, it is and funny though. It, it, that part, by the way, it's funny because you, we would have given Tim Ream and Robinson probably high praise, but perhaps Greg Berhalter would feel differently in terms of like, hey, you guys actually dropped too often. You made it difficult. I'm just speculating because I'm not, mm-hmm. I wasn't seeing the lines at that point. But and sorry to interrupt you, but like maybe he saw it differently, right? Maybe he's thinking like, man, you guys are making it a lot harder for the rest of the players on the field by not pushing the lines, by not clearing the lines, by not initiating the press or compacting the mm-hmm, field. Mm-hmm. No, because I didn't see the press being hailed consistently. So that's why I bring that up. Uh, Hydra has a comment. Uh, Greg has no tactics. Just play them at their club positions. And Italy and Spain did the same. So Hydra coming in hot. We appreciate hot takes here. I, I Yes, my Serginho desk point. I just feel like it's better when you play their players in their best positions. So that would be my only, let's say, criticism of the starting lineup is that particular player, putting him on the right side, putting a left-footed player on the left side, especially because Anthony Robinson has been uh, good for for Fulham to to start the season. So that would be my my two cents on that. All right, uh, we are going to get into the, the next games. But I did want to talk to you about the Roldan brothers very quickly. You brought up Alex a little bit. Christian ended up getting on. Two brothers facing off against each other in World Cup qualifying. How special of a moment do you think that was for him and his family? Yeah, it's amazing. You know, the journey of their parents to the U.S. is a really incredible one. If, if for, for anybody that's watching this or listening to this, it's worth uh, looking up. A lot of people have done features on them over the last sort of couple of days leading up into this match. But uh, they also have a brother, Caesar, who's one of the trainers for the LA Galaxy, by the way, like ultra talented family who've all just gone on to be uh, super successful. But to see them change jerseys after the game, you just think about it and you're like, man, what a, what a rare moment, especially in the world that we're living in now to have two brothers raised in the same home, play for different national teams are so close uh, a, a, as a family in terms of like being, you know, close brothers. Uh, I just thought that... Uh, it was just a really unique thing, you know. There's very few. What you got, Shakas? Uh, mm-hmm. You've got uh, Boatengs. I think there were, you know, played for different national teams. Mm-hmm, very mm-hmm. few in the world, and I, I just think that it's just a, a a really bright moment. And by the way, Alex Roldan was super good. He was good. Game. He almost he was, scored there too. Yeah, mm-hmm. he he looked super confident. He was breaking people on the dribble, putting in a shift. And, you know, I, I just I just think that was a really unique moment that, uh, yeah, well, I, I'll, I'll always remember. It's just kind of a really cool thing, especially yeah, in the world we live in now. Yeah, very cool story and obviously a nice silver lining to the game overall. I also want to give a shout out to El Salvador. I thought they played well. I thought they stuck to their game plan. My concern for them when I was watching is can they keep up this urgency and intensity for the full 90 minutes? 
And I thought that Hugo Perez really pushed all the right buttons to get a result. I know they needed a goal. The, the place would have exploded if they had gotten a goal. They only got one shot on goal and fair play to the U.S. defense for making it somewhat difficult. I thought that uh, in terms of run of play, possession was pretty even, 50, 51% to El Salvador to 49% to, to the U.S. They actually got more corners, five to R3. So they were definitely trying to push the game a little bit. But uh, I think El Salvador could potentially get this fourth spot. I don't want to count them out. Uh, I'm kind of pulling for them. They're, they're a bit of my, my dark horse to make that happen, Heath Pearson. So I'm excited to see how they do in the rest of this week as well. All right, everybody, if you're listening to the podcast, we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, the CONCACAF conversation will continue as we check in on the other three games that took place in the octagonal, the Ocho, as we like to say, starting with Mexico versus Jamaica. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, everybody here on YouTube, and welcome back. Let's go. We didn't really go anywhere, but we like to have some fun anyway. I'm Jimmy Conrad, alongside with Heath Pierce. We're breaking down all the games here. CONCACAF World Cup qualifying match day one. Heath, let's talk a little Mexico versus Jamaica. Jamaica had to come with somewhat of a C team. This was kind of sad for them because if they had had everyone available, Mikel Antonio in particular, who's red hot with West Ham in the Premier League, going to Azteca, where they had that one-game ban where they couldn't have fans, makes Azteca less intimidating by about 1,000. And they still hung with Mexico with their C team. It was 1-1 at one point. And then Henry Martin comes on as a super sub and scores in the 89th minute to save face for the Mexicans. And not necessarily Tata Martino's job because we saw it in the Gold Cup where they outshot Trinidad and Tobago, I don't know, 75-1. to And it was a 0-0 draw. It felt very similar to that. But they end up getting all three points. And that's what hurts me a little bit more from a United States perspective, because with Canada drawing and if Mexico had drawn, we would have missed out on a big opportunity to kind of take an early lead in the table. And now Mexico, our biggest rivals have it. Talk to me about that game. Yeah, this game was what I expected. Mexico at home, they played a mix of their Olympic squad and their A team. So it's kind of a mix of their A and B team, more of like a mix of their A and their young team, I guess you could say. Um, 
They didn't look great, but they definitely, if, if they ended up drawing, it would have been a, a, just a recap of like squandered chances. Finish your chances, you beat Jamaica. Jamaica had a lot of fight, but if you look for long periods, they would just drop deeper and deeper until it was like a five back line. And then they'd see two more drop into it in seven. And they're, now they're in their box. They actually, Mexico scored their first, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, on a hit outside the box just because there weren't players stepping out. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was, Mexico, uh, Jamaica looked out of their depth. Of course. But, but it could have been huge. It could have been a huge opportunity. Like you said, we saw Canada motivated by this depleted roster in the Gold Cup on this run of just mm-hmm. this grit and fight. That's easier to do in tournament play, right? You build on this not, like er, nothing to lose type of mentality. But when you come into this, these circumstances just a few days ago or like a week ago, you thought you were going to have your A team. And then you were like, okay, we got a few guys. And you're like, now we have less than a few guys. And now you're on your C team. It's a really hard thing to overcome, and I think that they put up a valiant effort. Mexico, though, this is the difference, right? When 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 I think back of the standards we should be holding our U.S. players mm-hmm, to, mm-hmm. I look at Mexico. Mexico don't get a break between generations in terms of expectations, mm-hmm. and they're forced to deliver. It's 1-1 late in the game. Henry Martin gets, gets subbed in. He's competing for a starting spot against Funes Mori. Both of them are competing for a starting spot against Jimenez, who, who didn't come in because of, because of the restrictions right now, and comes up with a banger. Obviously, Blake gets a hand on it. Could have potentially been saved, but still comes up in big moments. And I think Mexico have this bit of like we believe mentality late in games where somebody's going to create magic. We had that with Weston McKinney in the nation's mm-hmm, league. Mm-hmm. We had that at times in the gold cup where it was sort of like, even if we're not playing well, we'll find a way to win. That's what I thought was missing against El Salvador, but Mexico came up with that, right? They had mm-hmm. plenty of chances. They had a few chances squandered. They should have definitely won that game. They controlled it from start to finish. And then in, in, in the end they won. Right. And so you can look at it and you go, Oh, we're critical because they had a lot of sitters. They should have, or at least a few sitters that were clear cut chances. They should have finished. They didn't. Ended up getting the goal, and now you look at Mexico. And by the way, uh, Tata Martino's not traveling for the Panama and Costa Rica games because he has an eye issue. Um, that's yeah, we'll see if they play. We'll see if they play better because of that. Sometimes <laughs> yeah. when the when the right hand man takes over, the people relax a little. Well, bit. that's so what we'll that's what the jokes are that people are saying. Well, he clearly can't see the right team to put on the field. <laughs> like uh, the Twitter, you know, tw- Twitter's undefeated. It is but, undefeated. Like, undefeated. But, but yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was. A quality, a quality, a semi-quality match from from Mexico, but a professional performance in the fact that they, you know, things to work on, but they got the result. I, I do want to, and if there's any Mexican fans listening or watching on the YouTubes, I kind of starting to liken them to Arsenal fans in some ways. Like it doesn't go, and it's just like the manager has to get out, Martino out. I'm like, listen, you know how we lost to, to the U.S. twice, you know, in two big finals. It's because we we know we're better on set pieces. That was really the fine margins. We're just better on set pieces. In the run of play, we could argue that Mexico were better in both finals. Now, in this particular game against Jamaica, 27 shots, 75% possession, seven shots on goal. Jamaica only had one shot on goal, and they scored it. And I don't know what else you want Tata Martino to do. Like, if, if I'm a coach and my team has outshot the other team 27 to 1, I've got 75% possession. Yo, I'm doing my job. I'm absolutely doing my job. Maybe I didn't pick the right players who didn't have the finishing touch at that particular moment. And then defensively, maybe they got a little lax. But Tata Martino can't go out there and mark people on set pieces or close the ball down. Like, he's putting those guys. I'm sure they can make other choices, the guys that would do it, blah, 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 blah. But 27 shots, 75% possession, complete control of the game. I don't know what else you want from the guy, to be honest. I mean, if if the players can't make the plays, 
I just don't know if that's on Tata Martino. I, I think that, again, the players need to take some responsibility for how they're performing. And we saw it in the Gold Cup as well. And Mexico's somewhat notorious for that, right? Where they're always in complete control and they just they just lack that little thing to get them over the hump, which is why they've lost in the round of 16 in the last five World Cups. You know, there's just that one thing that they can't take that next step. And not, not to say that was on evidence today in the Jamaica game, but I just kind of wanted to like, just Mexican fans need to calm down. Tata Martino is a fantastic manager. And and I'm jealous that you have him. I mean, obviously played with Greg. I'm a big Greg Berhalter fan, but but Tata Martino is is the goods, man. So you just got to stick with him. So their next two games, I believe, are away to Costa Rica and and um, and Panama, which won't be easy games. And again, you look at it and you go, okay, mm-hmm. he played a mix of primarily uh, your your uh, Olympicos uh, roster. Not primarily, but a good mix of those. And you come out of it going, hey, we got the win 2-1. We, we, I trusted this lineup. Mm-hmm. Uh, we took a risk on this. It wasn't looking great. You know, there was there was probably going to be some Tata outs. Um, there probably was a lot of Tata outs in the second half when it was 1-1 or in the closing minutes. They get the goal that they want, and then they look back at, back at it as a professional performance. We knew we'd get it out, blah, blah, blah. A number of things you can work on. But the most important thing is they're at home. No fans uh, at the stadium, and they get the result heading into their next two. That's it. At the end of the day, they got the three points. The only team to do so, so far, out of the eight teams that are in the octagonal. All right, let's talk about Canada at home against Honduras. Honduras went up 1-0. It was a penalty. I just want to say for the record, there's no VAR in CONCACAF, which is crazy. It was a penalty. I'm not just saying, but I just because it, it kind of triggered me to remember, hey, there's no VAR. The penalty, though, for Canada, I don't know if, if VAR existed. Yeah, that was tough. That was it just it wasn't a penalty for me. It felt like he already got the shot off and then he fell. And I don't think there was an advantage that was going to be gained if he caught up to the ball because he'd already shot it. So Canada, for in my humble opinion, got bailed out with that penalty to get the one one draw. Fair play to Honduras actually showing that they're always tough to play against and woke up qualifying. And guess who we have on the last day of uh, the eight day stretch here for the U S it's in San Pedro Sula, which is tough to play in against Hunter. Oh, yeah. Anyway, but with regard to this one, Canada needed to win this game. They were at home. They're better on paper. They had all their players healthy for the most part. You're talking Alfonso Davies, Jonathan, David, Kyle, Laren, uh, Laria, like everybody's pretty much there. It's like a 95% top squad. And they could only muster a 1-1 result. And I'm a big fan of John Herdsman. And they're on they're on an unbeaten streak that they should be proud of or like being difficult to beat and, and to, to play against. But I just I, I actually was expecting a little bit more from this Canada team. And I think that makes them a little bit dangerous. But I don't want to get into the preview side of it because we have a special podcast for that. But I just think it gives them a little bit more urgency to get a result against us in a few days. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Jimmy. It definitely changes the complexity of how they will approach. Now, that could work in our favor for the U.S. team, or that could work Mm -hmm, against mm -hmm. it in the way that they're going to come out. The thing I will say is this Canada side, we started hyping them in the Gold Cup, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And each round they went on, or each match they went on, they had a a, a one less player. You know, Kyle Aaron goes out. Mm -hmm. No Jonathan David. Right. Uh, Iowa Canola does does his knee. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, they lose a bunch of these players. And we start talking about this, like at a minimum, they're going to have this fight. And I will say for long periods of this game, that was not the same uh, type of team. You had um, uh, um, Atiba Hutchinson playing mm-hmm, central midfield. Mm-hmm. A little more rhythmic of a player, you know, slides in front of the back line a lot more. Super experienced, captain of the team, just your most experienced player. 
But then you add all these other pieces and the team didn't look the same. It right. looked a little bit different. It didn't have this fight first mentality or fight at all costs or at a minimum, we are going to make your day miserable here. And again, you're playing at home. You have to approach it a little bit differently. You need to probably control the game a little bit more and try to get your result um, in a different way than you would mm-hmm. on the road. However, I think Canada's best chances of qualifying for the World Cup are playing every game like it's on the road. Fight, yeah, yeah, scrap, yeah. battle, play direct, mm-hmm. mix the game up, keep keep teams guessing on you, literally fly into everything, put your head where people aren't willing to put their foot. And I think when I saw that from them in the Gold Cup, that made the, that special sauce where you go, well, that's really hard to coach against. That's really right. hard to prepare yeah. for. That's really hard. That's not a tactical thing. That's a mentality. And if somebody's going to come out with that mentality, it makes you realize very quickly, like, oh, man, we are in for a day. And we're going to have to not only put in that same type of fight, but we're going to have to be better than them on that given day. And that's a, a tough thing to put together at the national team level. And I thought that was missing against Honduras. Honduras looked like the Honduras that we saw in the Nations League semifinal against the U.S., where they're willing to scrap, they're willing to fight, they're willing to make it ugly. They've got quality hey man, players that can beat I just, you on the dribble. I, you're giving out the secret sauce for how to be successful in CONCACAF, and we play Canada on Sunday. Let's just like, tone it down on the secrets, man. Uh, hey, hey I, if, if anybody's listening to this on audio, I'm in a three-piece suit. I am the manager. <laughs> I, am, I am dressed to be in the technical area on a sideline for one of these national teams. That's true. Now. You look good. You, you look know? good. All right, so that game finished 1-1, and then the other game in the Ocho, it was Panama hosting Costa Rica. Keeler Navas was in in between the sticks for the Ticos, and uh, it was pretty one-sided. Only two shots on goal the whole game, but 18 of those shots were for Panama, four in total for Costa Rica. Two of the shots on goal were for Panama, zero for uh for Costa Rica. So I think you can tell how this game is going, and I'd like to think that Costa Rica probably feels pretty good about Getting out of Panama with a draw is a tough place to play. So not much to report with regard to that game. But before I get your final thoughts, Heath Pierce, about match day one here in CONCACAF World, World Cup qualifying, let's go over the standings. Mexico on top with three points now. Honduras, Canada, Costa Rica, El Salvador, Panama, and the U.S. all with one. And Jamaica with zero. That's where things stand. We're going to have a whole bunch of games coming at you on Sunday. Jake, Jamaica, excuse me, hosts Panama. Costa Rica will host Mexico. El Salvador will host Honduras. And of course, we are going to host Canada. We are going to have a big preview for you on the Kegolasso podcast. It'll be dropping on Saturday. We'll also do some brief touch-ups on uh, and previews for the other games as well. So you know what to look forward to with regard to those. So final thoughts from you, Heath Pierce, as we tie this up. No, we were moments away from everybody being on one point uh, after the first day, which would have been the most CONCACAF thing ever. And Number two, Jimmy, is I lied to our audience. I said I was wearing a three-piece suit. It is a three-piece suit, but I'm wearing shorts. So it's, it's actually... It's like a four-piece suit. No, it's a, two, it's, a two, it's a two-piece suit. It's got a vest and a jacket. It's got pants that come with it, but I'm, I'm wearing the convertible ones today. I, I'm I, I'm, I can't believe I, I, you I, I couldn't. That. I couldn't lie. I couldn't lie. To I appreciate audience. that. I appreciate that. Well, I appreciate you, Heath Pierce. I appreciate everybody listening at home and watching, of course. Make sure you follow the K Golasso podcast on Twitter at... K Golasso Pod. Make sure you subscribe to the K Golasso page on YouTube. So right now, don't only hit like and leave a comment, but also hit subscribe. Hit that notification bell too, so you do not miss all the good stuff that we have coming to you. And of course, subscribe to K Golasso wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back on Saturday with a special guest or two as we look ahead to Sunday's action. So thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.